Well, thank you to Pastor Dwight and to Craig Saunders filling in uh, morning and evening last couple weeks. Thank you for praying for David and I uh, and Mike Reinen. Uh We'll talk a little more about that in uh, some, some Sunday here uh, toward the end of summer. Um, but for now, uh, we're continuing in this series on laughter, two more weeks uh, to this, this gift that God has given to humanity and all the benefits that come along with it, with laughter. Today, we're in the book of Matthew. Chris read for us. You could turn back there if you'd like. Jesus' words in the sixth chapter, uh, where I believe he is talking primarily about perspective, which is an important ingredient in our ability to laugh. That's what we're going to talk about today. Perspective, how we look at things. The sinking of the Titanic was an enormous human tragedy. We all know that. But if you happen to be a lobster in the tank of the Titanic's kitchen, it was an absolute miracle. You see? That is perspective. Two men are on opposite sides of a river. The first man shouts, how do I get to the other side? And the second shouts back, you're already on the other side. That's perspective. And having the right one is necessary for true joy and true laughter. Now, this whole Matthew passage, if you start at verse 19 through 24, it's segmented off in my Bible. It may or may not be in yours. But that, the whole of those verses talks about the danger that earthly financial success, the chasing after wealth, the danger that can have on the follower of Jesus. Uh, in verse 19, uh, Jesus tells us essentially, don't waste your time storing up treasures on earth. Instead, invest yourself in treasures in heaven, in the life after this life. Now, that's, that's pretty easy to understand. That was what Jesus wanted us to know. It can also be pretty hard to live out, right? Day to day. Uh, So often, we catch ourselves living like this is all there is. And Jesus says, don't do that. It's not worth that. That's how he begins this, this segment. Then at the close of the section, if you look down at verse 24, Jesus declares how no one can sit on the fence regarding this issue of investing ourselves in either this world or in the world to come. He starts with sort of a parable-like statement about masters, how nobody can serve two of them. But since he knows that sometimes we are just too dense to truly get the point of parables... He clarifies with just this simple declaration, very flatly, he says, you can't serve both God and money. Just like a person cannot walk in two directions at the same time, nobody can chase after both God, eternal success, and money, earthly success. So we have to choose what or who will master us. That's Jesus' closing statement of this this pericope, this part of the the chapter. But then there's this middle part that can seem kind of hazy and hard to grab a hold of. This notion that the eye is the lamp of the body. What's that mean? And why do you put it here? (laughs) And how does it relate to what comes before and what comes after it? 
Well, I believe this is actually the core of it all. Because this is where Jesus addresses perspective. Now today, in our age of of technology and medical science, we think of the eye, actually we know that the, the human eye is a receiver of light and image, right? Light comes in through our eye, through the cornea, through the pupil there. It hits the retina uh, on the back of, of our eye. The retina turns it upside down and backward and sends it on somehow to the brain where the brain turns it up right side up and front ways. And, and that's how you see what's out there. Today, we understand that the eye is a receiver of light. But you know, in Jesus' day, People understood the eye to be not a receiver, but a projector of light that lit up the world around them so they could see their surroundings, so they could see their world rightly. That's how they understood the eye. And you know, as strange as it sounds, both understandings are correct. The first is correct medically. But the second is just as correct philosophically and theologically because we determine importance, priority, and reality in our lives by how we see. That is perspective. And setting perspective is up to us. It's up to us. On this side, the wealth of the world says to us, hey, because your credit is good, you are among the elite to be chosen to receive a gold card so you can borrow more and you can buy more and you can have more. That's what this side is telling us. On this side, though, we hear God saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what do we choose? What will be reality for us, it depends on how we see, doesn't it? It depends on perspective. Wealth cries out, hey, indulge yourself. You've earned it. God says, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. What will be the reality in our lives? It depends on perspective. Wealth says, live the good life. God says, live a good life. The voice of God, the voice of our world, far more often than not, pull us in opposite directions. So we have to determine day to day, encounter to encounter, message to message, which will follow, which is right. And we do that by the way we see through right perspective. We set perspective in here. And through that perspective, we see our world. That's why Jesus reminds us here to set perspective carefully and prayerfully so we can see and respond to the messages of our world and live as God intends us to live. So, how do we set perspective? How do you set your perspective about things? How do your eyes see? How do your eyes illumine light up, and then interpret the world. How does that happen? Do you, do you even think about that? 
Or do you just take what comes? Jesus says we have to think about it. And we have to intentionally act on it. Because you see, by default, by our nature, which remember is broken and corrupt from birth, by default, most of us believe that our perspective, our natural perspective, is just naturally correct. Right? Most of us think that the world can be seen through a million different perspectives. Ours and 999,999 wrong ones. Right? We are born self-centered. We are born thinking that we see all things correctly and that we're right about everything. But when we give ourselves to Jesus and God takes over more and more real estate within our hearts, that purifying work of his spirit begins to challenge our perspectives and we have to adjust. We have to adjust how our eyes see our world in response to God's word and his spirit imparting truth into our lives. And let me, let me say very quickly, God doesn't adjust human perspective by force. He does not do that. Sometimes I wish he would, but he doesn't. It's all by invitation. He invites us to let him make those adjustments. He invites us to let him correct our vision, you might say. And it does take a certain amount of courage and conviction on our part to let him do that. To make those changes in how we see. It really does. And some people never will. They just simply will not. You know, when people live for years believing certain things and seeing the world in certain ways, it, it's not hard at all for God to change them. But it is hard for us to let him sometimes. People who were born into racist families and so were conditioned for years to see people either not of their color or not of their caste or not of their social standing in, in, let's say, uncharitable ways. People like that can find a change of perspective pretty hard to consider. People whose families have always thought certain things about either rich people or poor people or about educated people or uneducated people, people from certain parts of our nation, people from certain parts of our world. Seeing them differently does not come naturally. If we grew up with a steady diet of how important social status is or how important money is or how important being popular is or how much better this group is than this group, those patterns of seeing the world are well burned into our eyes to the point that we may well not even be aware of them. And so in that sense, our perspectives can be hard for us to even see honestly. And so chances are we're never going to change them ourselves. There almost always has to be some catalyst that forces us to question how we see, which is exactly what Jesus is right here. The eye is the lamp of the body. He says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. See, he's not talking about cataracts or glaucoma. He's saying that how we see our world, our perspectives about reality affects everything else about us. It really does. And again, it's not hard for God to change our perspectives. The hard part, often, is us giving him the room to do it. Especially when the world around us, people we've known and loved for years maybe, say something different. But you know, following Jesus, coming to maturity in Christ, means that we do it. We let him do it in response to what he says. Because regardless of what the world around us says and does, it is God's way that's right. Uh, And that's the conviction we've got to have. That's the faith that we must live by in order to see as God sees. To adopt God's perspective and to be, as Jesus says, we need to be full of light. That requires right perspective. There was a Jewish man. He's a father. He had a son. And his son one day decides that he's going to convert to Christianity. And that made the man very distressed. And so he decides to ask a Jewish friend of his for advice. And he goes to his friend, and his friend says, it's funny that you should come to me, because my son did the same thing, not even a month after moving out on his own. And I was probably more upset than you seem to be about it. But I eventually realized that he's always going to be my son. And and he still celebrates the high holidays with us. And we'll sometimes visit his house for Christmas. And if anything, I might say it's actually made our family stronger. And so the father goes home and he thinks about this. But he still can't help being upset. No matter what he says to himself in his head. So he goes to talk to his rabbi about it. It's funny you should come to me, the rabbi begins, because my own son became a Christian when he went off to college. He wanted to become an Anglican priest. (laughs) Whether I like it or not, though, he's still my son. He's my flesh and blood, and I could not stop loving him for a thing like that. So It also means, too, that when we talk about God together, he brings a perspective that I might not hear otherwise. So, you know, in some ways, I'm, I'm almost sort of glad it happened. And again, the father goes home to think on this. But still, all he wants to do is yell and scream at his son for what he's doing. So he gets down on his knees and he prays, Lord, please help me. My son is becoming a Christian and it's tearing me apart and I don't know what to do. Would you please help me? And he hears God reply, It's funny you should come to me. (laughs) Perspective, you see. How we understand and interpret the world around us, it changes everything. And for our purposes today, let me say it's right perspective that allows us to laugh. Without God's perspective informing our own about this crazy world that we live in, we would have no reason to laugh. Because things are hard here. Inflation is high and jobs are uncertain and our leaders are corrupt. 
Uh, Housing is scarce. Immorality is rampant. Crime and homelessness and poverty and racism. You see it all over our nation and all over our world. Our world is full today of floods and fires and wars. People we love are sick. Things are hard. That's the reality of our world. When I went to Russia for the first time a few years ago, I remember being told, when you pass strangers on the street, you should not smile at them or greet them happily because if you do, they'll think you're an uninformed idiot who doesn't understand that life is hard and offers no reason to be happy. That's how they think. And they think that way because life is hard. That's the reality of our world. And compared to nearly all the rest of the world, we have it great here. (laughs) Believe me, I just got back from Africa. Our world is broken and life is hard. But those in Christ know that the mechanisms of power and influence here are not all there is. The world is not just a closed system of brokenness and hardship and pain. No, God is at work here in this place. God steps into this world and he rights wrongs and he cures illnesses and he punishes the unjust. He rewards the righteous. He blesses the faithful. He intervenes in the lives of his people. At times, God even breaks the natural laws of order that he created himself for the sake of his own glory and for the love of his creation. He doesn't always do those things. And it's impossible for us to predict exactly when and how he will. But he has and he does and he will always bring good to the lives of those who will love him and who will follow him. And one day he will set all things right here in this world again when Jesus returns to claim his throne. Those facts that God works in our world out of love for us and that one day Jesus will come back and God will completely redeem and restore His creation. Those facts color the way we see. And that gives us something to laugh about. He has not left us as orphans. He is with us. He sees our needs. He knows the injustices and the suffering we face. And he is always at work helping and empowering and uplifting and carrying and strengthening. And using even suffering to help us become more like Jesus. To help us become worthy of being who we are. The church. The very bride of Christ. Who will sit with him and rule with him and reign with him. At the end of the age. That is reality. And when we see reality rightly. When we see as God sees When we have God's perspective, we can laugh with relief and we can laugh with joy. You see, the laughter of God's people, especially in days of difficulty, that signals our confidence in him, in who he is. Actually, we can laugh because God laughs. You know, Psalm 37 tells us the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. We laugh for the same reasons that God does. Psalm 59, God laughs at those who set themselves against his chosen ones. In Psalm 2, God laughs at the world's corrupt leaders as they plan and they scheme to destroy him and destroy those he loves because he knows they're never going to succeed. You see, God's laughter warns cosmic traitors of their coming doom. 
And God's laughter also reminds his own that not only is all well and good, but even more, our best is yet to come. You see, God's laughter acknowledges that a whole lot more is going on here than just what we can see with our physical eyes. God's laughter arises from right vision, right perspective about reality. And amazing as it is, he invites us to see and he invites us to laugh with him. With him. In order to do that, to grasp the true reality of our world and to laugh with God, we have to see with eyes of faith and trust. Physical eyes won't do it. They'll never do it. We can't just receive into us the light of this world as it's offered. We have to see with spiritual eyes. Even before we open our physical eyes to the world and all of its messages, we got to decide that we're going to let our faith illumine what we see and how we see it. That decision is ours to make. We choose our perspective. Here in Matthew 6, Jesus spoke of all of this stuff, specifically with regard to money and wealth. You see, if we see wealth as the world sees it, if we allow our material needs to dominate our thoughts and intentions and prayers and all of that, we are immature. And we will never rest in God's care and we will never truly be able to laugh. But how that applies, how all that Jesus says, it applies to all parts of life, not just wealth. If we want to live in freedom from the world's just overwhelming preoccupation with politics and health and wealth and troubles, we got to choose to see as God sees. Knowing he holds power far greater than any of those things. And knowing those who trust him will win in the end. we got to choose the right perspective. we got to choose his perspective. I wonder if there are some here today who are trying to please both God and And the world around them. Jesus says you can't do it. Maybe you've discovered that. But Jesus says it. You can't do it. We can't do it. There's no peace. There's no freedom. There's no laughter in it. If God is asking you today in some specific way. To begin to see as he sees in this area. To adopt his perspective in this specific place. Why don't you agree to do that? Why not just say yes to him? You fought with him long enough. Just say, sure, I will do that. I will see as you see. He does the work of correcting the vision. But we have to choose to let him. We have to invite him. To do the works. Like Cassius said to Brutus and Julius Caesar, the fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. We have to choose to adopt God's vision, God's perspective. That's where the freedom is, that's where the truth is, and that's where the real laughter of life begins. So, is there some place that God is saying, oh, child, let me change your vision? Let me change your perspective so you can see clearly, so you're not bound up with worry or anxiety, so you can be free to laugh. If God is pointing out a place like that in your life, would you come and place your vision on the altar today? And so begin to see by God's perspective in that place.
He's always working with us. He's always moving us a little bit closer. And he's always revealing places, maybe that we've kept hidden, that he wants to do a little corrective surgery, (laughs) particularly on our vision. If God's pointing a place out like that to you, would you come and give that to him? Father, would you help us to be open and vulnerable to you in this way? We realize it, it requires a fair bit of courage and trust. But Lord, we don't want to be bound by worry and anxiety over the stuff the world says is important. We want to see as you see. We want your perspective as our perspective. And so, Lord, would you do, through your Holy Spirit, a work here today? Would you correct our vision in any way it needs corrected so that we might see as you see? We give ourselves to you. We give our eyes to you. We give our vision to you. Would you change us however you choose? In Jesus' name.